0: I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like my days off on a roadless travel, never looking back. Uh, We're live. Sam, it's almost Christmas. Are you a big gifter? Mm,
1: I do everything last minute as expected, (laughs) and I overspend on my close family. So, um, kind of. <laughs>
0: Are you? Um, I'm a gifter. I'm also a last minute. In fact, usually so last minute that they get a photo of something that's to Same. come. And uh, I'm famous in my family for like, oh, remember that time I got a photo from Sean of a stroller, but the stroller never came, or like I get this photo of a of a bag that I never got. <laughs> so I'm the famous kind of like photo only gifter. It's just
1: like it's not well. You know your love language. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It's like touch, service. Uh, Words of affirmation.
0: Gif- yeah, <laughs> yeah, gifting.
1: And gifting is not mine. So I just like forget that a lot of people really care about it. I'm like, ugh. When I actually get gifts, it's like, you know, I'm uh, doing Christmas in Austin. My mother sent me a book and it was a lovely book and I like it. And then someone else, but someone else sent me something else. I'm like, oh, more packages. I don't want to get rid of all this cardboard. <laughs> it's like stressful more than it is good.
0: That's good. And one of my my goals this year was to become a good person like Ramon, who's our our good friend, who is the best guy now, I would say. He's like the best gift giver too. That's his and thing. he's the best gift giver and super thoughtful. So I was like, I'm gonna out gift Ramon this year. And so I uh have created a system where I am giving gifts like at scale i'm gifting like to 30 40 people who i think are amazing and i care about even if we don't like talk all the time or whatever i've made a list of the 30 40 people who i i think are awesome and i want to invest in like i want to give them gifts i have just been too busy slash lazy slash not thoughtful to do it and then uh you gave me the, the great idea for the perfect gift for, for this month. So I sent out a high-quality pair of Christmas socks from Stance to everybody on that list. And Stance was like, oh, this is great. Cool. We'll take care – You know, just upload a CSV of their, their addresses and we'll t- we'll send it all out and we'll get you a bunch of credits and all this stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. This is how this is you, supposed to be. That's awesome. You emailed yeah. them? So Ben actually took care of this whole thing for me. So I was like, I told Ben, here's what I'm trying to do. He's like – I got you. Just get the addresses for me. So I put all the addresses in a spreadsheet. He's like, all right, I talked to stance and uh, they said, they're going to do this. And I was like, Ben, I love you. I love stance. I love that this is actually happening now. And so what I'm going to try to do is every month I'm going to try to send them a little something. Maybe it's just so- socks that God, I think that's cool, great, or a little, just something small that I think is cool. And Ramon had this thing he said once, which was like, from now on, I buy two. I buy anything I like, I buy two. I buy one for me, I buy one for you. And I was like, he wouldn't even say this to me, but I heard it. And I was like, wow, that is like the ultimate Ramon friend philosophy because he means it. He's not like a bullshitter and he's not schmoozing anybody. He just does it because he
1: does he's it. He's bought me. Um, so Ramon is our mutual friend. He was the first or top five or one of the first episodes Sean did. He sold the yeah, number two, s- I think. The soap Hub, Soap opera website for 10 million bucks almost. He's given me. A $500 helicopter ride. Like me and Sarah went on a helicopter ride. He's given me an Apple watch. He's given me a sauna for my wedding. He's amazing. Um, What else did he give me?
0: I was in Las Vegas and I just told him, Hey, I'm in Las Vegas. And he goes, Oh, that's great. Have a good time. Blah, blah, blah. The next day he's like, Hey, at 6 PM today, you need to go to T-Mobile arena, you and your friends. And he, Hooked us up with like a VIP pass to the UFC event. Like we got to meet some UFC. He arranged for UFC fighters Like to come Forrest find Griffin us. came in, like mentioned. Right? Yeah. He came to our seat and was like, Hey, are you Sean? And I was like, Oh my God, Ramon, dude he Ramon gifts you to the point where you feel uncomfortable. You're like, I'll yeah. never
1: live up to this. He does that to me all the time. And to the point where I I actually had to tell him, I go, dude, you're He's making like, me feel you're making <laughs> me feel bad. Like, please, like, if you're gonna give me something keep it under 50 bucks of like right. you, you, you go too hard. He's so no, it's generous. Like, it's
0: like M&Ms. Like there's a, there's a point where too much of good equals bad at some point. And so he is that, that much of a giver that you'll feel guilty and bad about yourself. And by the end of being his friend,
1: he's coming over to my house for Christmas tomorrow. Or, uh, Dude, you better
0: have a gift ready. I bet you he's coming with the heat.
1: No, we do. So this is the second Christmas we spent together. We we hooked him up last year and we're gonna get him some good stuff this year. He doesn't listen to this, so I can tell you we got him some clothes because Ramon is um from east he's got this Eastern European vibe. And so he sometimes <laughs> he hasn't fully acclimated acclimate, and he's a single dad. Um so he hasn't like fully acclimated to like American like hip fashion, even though he like wants to go out and date. And so sometimes right. he'll wear like two religion jeans. <laughs> and so last year we bought him a uh, Lululemon because he had never, he didn't know what Lululemon was. I was like, Ramon, this is like what like yuppie fancy people wear, like instead of um, <laughs> like affliction hoodies. So we got him yeah. that. And then this year we're getting him a fancy cashmere sweater so he could wear on dates. So we're trying to step up his fashion a little bit.
0: I like it. He's going to wear the cashmere sweater with an affliction hoodie on top. And
1: it's That's what awesome. he does. He like wears like he has like an affliction hoodie. He, he wears like uh, just stuff that like was cool like 10 years ago.
0: And uh, we should say, so the next episode we're going to do is our big bang end of year, end of 2020 finale. It's going to be fun. We're going to prep for it. It's got a bunch of kind of like year end type of things. So I think that one's going to be good for today. We have a bunch of little things. Uh, where do you want to start? I have a cool idea I want to tell you about. That's this company I, I saw that is in Brooklyn. So uh, it's a company called Fridge No More. Have you ever heard of this company?
1: No, but I'm going to Google if it. You just go to, go to
0: fridgenomore.com. Okay. And it's called Fridge No More because their idea is like, if you use our service, you don't even need to have a fridge. So, what they do is they take grocery delivery that's like Instacart or whatever that are, you know, have gotten super popular during COVID and they actually just shrink it down into the most Sort of simple delivery service that you can get. It's 15 minute delivery. It's like a corner store. It's like a cloud corner store. And so they have a one mile radius that they operate these out of. They have these like electric bike messengers. Yeah, I'm looking that at as it. soon as you place the order, they're gone. And in 15 minutes, you have your thing. And you could just order like a pint of Ben and Jerry's and that's it. You can order like, you know, six bottles of water. You can order fruits and vegetables. You can order whatever the hell you want. It's a really cool concept. And the guys who started, it... so I get on this call because I'm thinking about investing right? I love the idea. It's like Postmates, but even simpler and more lightweight because you get it even faster. And the, the trick is they're not going to... So unlike Postmates, unlike DoorDash, unlike Instacart, it's not like a shopper goes to a normal shop and buys it at the retail price and then kind of upsells it to you and, and, and they charge a delivery fee and it gets really expensive. Fridge No More themselves is the grocery store. So they go buy wholesale snacks and all the shit. They create a small, tiny cloud, you know, corner store. And then they sell it to you at the normal retail price. That's how they make their markup is just because they buy hotel- wholesale, they sell retail. So unlike Instacart, Instacart goes to a normal grocery store, they buy a retail and sell at double retail, right? So that's the kind of business model here is to be an actual grocery store.
1: And I don't know the answer to this, but have you asked yourself why Instacart doesn't do that?
0: Uh, so it's a different model. This requires like CapEx. So basically they have to open, they have to open up locations, right? So they have To like get a space, buy the inventory, hold the inventory, and then like do the delivery themselves. Whereas Instacart was like, cool, we'll just get a network of delivery people and they'll just go to the existing grocery stores. It'll be fine. It does work. Instacart clearly works, right? It's a multi-billion dollar company, but this is a little bit different because if you either are more price sensitive or time sensitive, you want it faster, this is the way to go because Instacart and stuff, they deliver everywhere. They deliver to the suburbs, all this stuff. So they'll take like At the minimum, two hours to deliver your stuff. These guys are 15 minutes.
1: I'm looking up the founders. They seem very accomplished. They've got some hardcore Russian names, it looks like, right? Exactly. So
0: so that's what I was going to tell you. I get on this call, and I'm a little bit skeptical because I'm like, Ben, I don't know. I feel like Instacart already won. There's Farmstead, which is a great company that that my friend started that is this model, but uh, a little bit different. And I said, I don't know. I feel like these guys are five years late to this party. But I get on the call. First thing I see is... These two hardcore russian Russian dudes i 'm like, all right, already I sit up straight in my chair because I've, I've learned one thing in business is that the Russians, when they get into business, they win. These guys are are an incredible class of entrepreneurs
1: it's like uh anton and uh what's the other guy's name I'm Pavel Anton and Pavel, yeah, I mean, they sound like uh like their last names they're like 007 Goldeneye uh villains right
0: if you ever are competing you know you're doing a startup and people are like oh don't worry about competition unless your competition is named Anton and Pavel then you better fucking watch your back
1: yeah or like Suri from Israel
0: (laughs) right yeah exactly you just don't want to mess with like Israelis or Russians and and, yeah you know
1: they've all served like three years in the military and they're here to kick (laughs) ass and Yeah.
0: So I start talking to these guys and I'm like, okay, tell me about your background first, because I'm intrigued by the Russian thing first. So the first guy's like, you know, I'm Pavel. I uh, spent the last 10 years actually in finance, um, working for a Russian billionaire. And I was like, which one? Uh, his name's Mikhail Brokharov, And I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but he was the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, yeah, the tall guy. Yeah, t- super uh,
1: tall. Uh, mining. He did mining. Now, it, those guys are all rich because uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they gave they, like, allocated like, parts of picked, the government. They you know, billionaires, to, basically. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah, to, like, young people. And they're like, hey, man, here's your cut. You got to Give it to us, and he goes, "Yes, yes, sir, I'll do it." And then now they all right. made billions. And so
0: I'm talking to him. He's like, "He's like, yeah, that was a funny time, like, because he doesn't own the Nets now, but he owned it then." He's like, "You know what a business to own? Like, you look at the fixed cost. The salary commitment was like a hundred million dollars a year for the players." He's like, "That's just your salary commitment." And he's like, "That was a crazy business." So he's telling me about that business. And the other guy, I'm like, "What about you? What's your story?" And I thought, okay, maybe this guy has a lame background. And he goes, "Oh, you know, I started this company called Kube." And I was like, Kube, that sounds, Kube, holy shit. Do you remember this company called Kube, C-O-U-B? I don't know if you ever heard of this. No. This was basically TikTok before TikTok. And it's still the TikTok of Russia. So I remember once upon a time, I I used to do these things where every Friday, once a month, I would have a random day. I would invite random people, either speakers or just guests to come over to the office. And I just want to expose my worldview to new things. One of those random days, I invited a group of students who was entrepreneurs traveling around from the Ukraine, I think. And they came and they talked and they're like, oh, tell us about Silicon Valley. If you remember, I always felt weird because I was like, I really haven't done shit. I don't really want to tell you anything. But my office was so legit back then. like, Our office like looked like I was a billionaire myself. And so it was always this weird thing where they would come... Sp- And, and I, they would come and ask me to speak and I would be like, I don't really know anything. I can tell you what we're doing, but like, and I used to ask them, tell me what, you know, what do you know that I don't know? And I said, what's the hottest shit in Ukraine? I asked it kind of as a joke and they go, Oh, Coop. And everyone's like, Coop, Coop, Coop. And I was like, what the fuck is Coop? And I go to the website and it's basically TikTok It's these short videos with audio that's like mashed together. That doesn't fit the video. And they were funny as hell. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. I was like, is this like a startup? They're like, yeah, it's new, but it has like 10 million users already. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, 10 million. Um, I was like, registered users? Like, no, daily users. And I was like, whoa. So they ended up getting recruited into Y Combinator. They just didn't make it into America. Like, they didn't make the crossover. The content didn't have the same humor that, like, would have fit America. And then, like, you know, five, seven years later, TikTok comes out, does the same concept but better and uh, wins, you know, like in America. So, so that was Coop. So this guy's like, I invented Coop. And I was like, holy shit, you're amazing. You guys are both amazing. Tell me more about this concept. So they're telling me about this concept and they're basically like, look, we're going to open up a hundred of these in New York. And each one's just going to deliver in a one mile radius. This only works in dense areas like cities or college campuses, which is where another concept that's like this called GoPuff is like a massive winner. GoPuff is a company that was started by guys outside of Silicon Valley. They basically did this for college campuses where it's like, it's kind of like the, the vibe is like, you know, like a stoner. Just pushes a button and wants his Cheetos delivered. That's what they did. They basically just created like they've already raised
1: 380, 380 million out of $4 billion valuation. So it's a exactly. huge thing. And I think they're cash flow positive.
0: Exactly. Our friend Sieva told me about this because he had a college-based startup years ago. He goes, You gotta check out this thing called GoPuff. At that time, I think they were raising it like a If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC pod wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know what they're raising up. To. I think he said he told me, I was like, I was like, oh, it's a cool concept. I just thought it was like an idea. He's like, yeah, they're going to do like 100 million in revenue this year. I was like, what? And I had never heard anybody in Silicon Valley talking about this thing. And still, I feel like nobody in Silicon Valley really talks about GoPuff. I think.
1: This was started. These guys sound Russian too. Are they? No, yes, wait, they
0: are Russian. Are they Russian? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Eastern European or Russian. And uh, they must be Penn folks. Exactly. And so they they do it on college campuses. They're on like 500 campuses or something. They're doing hundreds of millions a year. They were profitable. Then SoftBank backed up the truck and invested like 200, 300 million into the company. So I don't know if they're still profitable because usually when that happens, it's like, Here's the truckload of money. Go grow like crazy. Burn this money to get all the market share. Dude,
1: this is so funny. I'm looking up this GoPuff thing. They're Israeli. <laughs> we called it. We've called it entirely. And this type of company is like heavy on logistics and you could pull it off, but it's a really hard business. You probably have to be incredibly aggressive and very precise. This is a very, uh, like, I think these, if they're from, if they're Israel, Israeli, they definitely have a military background. This is totally like, like what you need. For this yes. type of company. It's funny
0: because one co-founder has on his LinkedIn Hebrew as a language and the other
1: has Russian. So <laughs> God, that's so funny. I love when we get this stuff right.
0: <laughs> I love when our things that are like, you know, you say it, it'll probably get you fired if you if you say it like, you know, in a normal context, and uh sounds like a total like bro assumption, but there are these patterns you notice that like, you know, you can't help but notice the more companies you see like this. And so, you know, I'm sorry. Well,
1: have you ever I, I, it's my I'm, bias. I'm in the advertising world and a handful of my buddies who run these huge companies, like how many people do you think live in Israel?
0: With 10 million or 20 million? Dude, like, it's tiny. It's like six million people or something tiny. It's something small. To check it out.
1: It's nothing. And yet the amount of successful people in the ad tech who are Israeli. It's astronomical. It's like Samoans who play football.
0: Yes, it's like you were saying. It's basically like if you see a Samoan, they're strong. If you see a Mormon, like it's like the Mormon religion, small number of people growing like crazy. Israelis, like tiny population, 8.8 million people. They probably own like fucking like half the world's net worth. It's crazy. Uh, they're so successful with business.
1: Yes, the and particularly in ad tech. So like Taboola, Outbrain, everything like that. I've got a friend, uh, Nadav, who has a... He changed the name of his company. I forget what it's called now, actually. But uh, a Huge ad tech. It says ad tech. And then my friend Joe Spizer, Who Have you met Joe Spizer? Yes, he's he, an investor in my fund. Yeah, he. Uh, oh, yeah, he told me he did that. He's a great friend of mine. He. All of his friends are Israeli, all in ad tech.
0: It's crazy. I think this is a cool concept. I'm curious to see if it can work. So I'll tell you why I think it can work. And I'll tell you why I think it can't. So why I think it can work is... It's pretty clear at this point that like the phone is a magic wand and you just say the magic word and then shit magically appears at your house, right? Like e-commerce, you know, buy a, buy an item, you just buy it on your phone, push a button, it arrives. Food delivery, same thing. Push a button, food derives from DoorDash or whoever. Grocery delivery, same thing. I think this is a subset of grocery delivery. For people who care about speed and convenience, it's the equivalent of the convenience store instead of the grocery store, but it's in the cloud. So I do think inevitably this is going to exist. And I have some numbers behind it if you're curious about anything. So like just for example, they need one. Uh, so, so basically, they're going to do 200 stores just for two cities. So that's how many locations they need. Uh, that's a lot of like locations you got to pop up and you got to be very efficient. What's a rent on a store? Three grand a month? Very low. Yeah, it's gonna be like three grand a month. And the upper, and the footprint's also very small, so it's not like a huge warehouse thing need because they're just storing small, like kind of pa- package goods and things. Like How that. many, a hundred or 200? They're going to do a hundred per city.
1: So you're talking close to half a maybe half a million a month in rent in one city. I mean, I guess that's not like the end of the world.
0: Uh, what's it called? So so basically, they're doing like one store per zip code. They guarantee the fifteen minute delivery. It's all through bike messengers. The average order is like thirty five bucks. so it's not like a grocery delivery where you're like two hundred dollars for groceries or whatever. It's thirty five dollars. so it's small things, but they buy really frequently. So what they're seeing, they're showing me some of the data is like somebody buys once on the first day. They have a super high repeat rate the second day, uh, like kind of shockingly high, almost like a social network app, which is not, not normally like for e-commerce or you know, buying something. You usually don't buy the second day. And then they're, they have this set of users where once you buy a certain number of times, it's like they basically buy like three or four times a week. And um, just like, they just like to click the button and get their stuff.
1: Are they raising uh, in an eight-figure valuation or a typical seed round of like three or five million? Yeah, more, more like a seed round. Wow. If they're listening, I want to join. That sounds cool. Okay, cool. cool. I'll I'll
0: email in for you. Uh, Yeah, I think these guys are cool. Okay, so here's why I think it might fail. And I told them this, you know, customer acquisition is really hard in general. It gets way harder for things that have a specific geographic like restriction because to make the one store work, they need like 2,000 households in that zip code, right? So the zip code will have 20,000. They need like 2,000 of those households to be using them for them to be like profitable on that location.
1: Let's put our optimistic hat on, which is, It's probably not that hard in a city like New York. I mean, you probably could just pay hourly workers to hand out.
0: So I was like, what are you doing now? They're like, I don't know. We try a bunch of shit. We try some ads. We do direct mail. Direct mail seems to work really well. But like, you can't do it that often. You know, you can't keep sending letters. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't do any online ads. I would just have young men and women out there handing out shit.
0: Yeah, I was like, yeah, hand it out at the church. Like, whatever. He's like, yeah, we're basically doing all that shit right now. We don't really know, like, what's the scalable thing. But right now we got two locations in New York. We're just going to keep filling them up and we'll figure it out which i like that answer but like gopuff for example i think they had one advantage which is on campus shit spreads like like literally like herpes you know like there's you, if you get something on campus it's going to spread throughout that dorm that's going to spread to the next dorm whereas in new york people are in apartment complexes
1: yeah but can they do that with apartments like if you leave someone outside of it uh, like I had never heard of good egg until walking around my neighborhood and I see good egg boxes.
0: Right. So I think it does work, but less so than a college campus, right? Because you, I mean, I don't know my neighbor. I didn't know my neighbors really when I when I lived in my apartment. I knew like, let's say one out of five, and we didn't talk that much. Whereas on a campus, you just see way more and you talk way more. So I think campus is easier. And I think that's the one variable would which is like, this is GoPuff in cities. Is either a GoPuff just gonna beat them or B. Is campus is just a magical thing that works way better than cities, and so that's the big bet. Maybe I'm wrong, but I wouldn't
1: really care if Go like GoPuff could beat them or not, because it's like it has to be one of the biggest markets out there.
0: Yeah, it's like a trillion dollar plus market,
1: and so I wouldn't frankly worry too much about competition, would you? I wouldn't worry about competition. It's the really that customer acquisition thing I was talking
0: about. Like, is it going to be really hard and expensive for them to acquire customers in that little one mile radius? Or are they going to figure out some really simple tactics that like let them scale up and do it? If they do it, it's going to be a big winner, you know. So
1: they, they got a cute little landing page. Is the app good?
0: I haven't used it because it's not in my area. I'm in California.
1: It only has twenty six ratings, four four and a half out of five stars. It it's looks, small, yeah. Uh, the reviews are great. People are saying it works. Seems good. The, one of the first ones seems too good to be true, but it's true.
0: It's reviews also, which also who knows if they're ever true.
1: <laughs> right, they probably aren't. But it looks great. So
0: cool. Okay, cool. So that's no More. I uh, kind of went long on that one, but I, I like that, that concept.
1: Okay, I'll bring up one. I was fooling around. I go to this website called Starter Story. You know what that is?
0: Yeah, what is that? That's like a startup, kind of like how, how they it's made it. There's this
1: guy named Pat. And I think what he does is he just has a form and he emails people form questions like, how did you get started? What's your revenue? Things like that. And they answer it and then auto-populates to his website. It's pretty neat. And I found a game called uh, Hunt a Killer. So... It's a game called Hunt a Killer and it's 25 it ranges from 25 to add-ons of maybe $30 a month. You can go to the landing page and see. It's a board game and you sign up and you get your first pack and then they send you new and you're like I think you're trying to find a killer. And they send you new clues every month. So it's somehow like ongoing. This game does 5 million dollars a month in recurring revenue. Wow. And it's just a game. It's crazy. I would, what I started fooling around on this or looking around on it and I was like is this real? It's only five years old. It was in the Inc. 5000. It was the sixth fastest growing private company in America, or at least who submitted themselves to Inc. And I think it's bootstrapped. I imagine the margins I have to... I, if they weren't making 30% profit on this, I would be a little bit surprised. It's pretty wild. Have you... Uh,
0: I guess you've never heard of this. I've never heard of this game. Actually, I think I've literally just in passing had heard of it once, but I didn't know about this business. And the $5 million a month is, is honestly very impressive
1: incredibly impressive what's 5 million divided by 25 bucks if that's our average subscription i'll do it 200,000 it's a huge market it's 200,000 customers is a lot but it's not like i mean it's a big market and here's let me tell you why this is interesting to me i listen to probably 2 to 3 hours a day of crime podcasts <laughs> such an insane amount of time so it's usually three <laughs> episodes an episode if, if
0: Sam ever tells him if ever Sam ever tells anyone he's busy now nah, you could be like bullshit you listen to fucking 3 hours of true crime a day <laughs> well i
1: do it while exercising or i do it while i'm just sitting working or i just like while i'm cooking i just i love it There's a few that I really like. I love anything mob related. And there's a Okay,
0: what is the best one? Like if if somebody doesn't listen to any, what's the best one they should just go listen to?
1: Dateline. So I like Dateline and I like serial killers. Serial Killers is produced, oddly, by this company called Parcast, and they have all types of stuff on crime. And I like serial killers, is what it's called. But Dateline, do you know about Date? You know what Dateline is? The TV show. Yeah, it came out in 1980 something. Right. It's 30 plus years old. They launched a podcast a year ago, and it's already gotten like 150 million downloads. <laughs> wow. It's all if you look, if you go to the podcast top charts, Dateline is always in the top. And it's a 30 year old program. And I listened to so many episodes. It is so awesome. And just the appetite for anything crime or mystery related is just massive, 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 massive.
0: So it is the uh, number 21 21- Podcast in America of all podcasts right now.
1: It is and is always and in the it, top. It goes between
0: fifteen to twenty. Yeah,
1: and they produce. I they might do one every day.
0: Are they just taking the TV show and then just like being like that's just taking the audio and that's the podcast? Or?
1: I don't watch the show anymore, but I think so. It seems like it. Maybe they do a little special stuff, but yeah, it's nothing. And and they have a lot li- a thirty-year library. So like I'll listen. Like an episode came out yesterday, and it was from two thousand fourteen and all they're doing is repurposing this which I actually think that every TV show should do this like even yeah, a, I was gonna say even a family guy or Jeopardy I don't know why every Jeopardy is not <laughs> a <laughs> pod. yeah because I do that all the time I turn Jeopardy on my YouTube and I put the phone in my pocket and I just listen and play in my head <laughs>
0: I have this question, I have this get to know you question that I use that you have like 10 of the best answers for, which is like, the first one, the question is, what's something if, if people knew that you do, uh, they'd laugh. And I feel like you just spout out like 10 of these per episode. Wait, you think that's
1: weird? Listening to Jeopardy episodes? <laughs> yeah. Dude, they're on YouTube. Like, they're great. I listen to them all the time. Ken Jennings is a new Jeopardy host starting tomorrow.
0: Abreu, am I, is that weird or is that normal? Do you do that, Abreu? have you ever thought about it
1: I've never heard of anyone (laughs) dude I'm telling you these episodes get tens of thousands of views more people are doing it I I like listen to them all the time or if I'm on a long drive me and Sarah that's what we do we'll play Jeopardy I love it
0: Are you good at Jeopardy? I'm awful. That, I can't watch the show because I'm just like, dude, I, I, I didn't know any of these.
1: Like if it's college Jeopardy, I would win. If it's normal Jeopardy, I'm hit or miss. But like college Jeopardy, I crush. So I always watch the university ones because I know I'll kick those Cornell kids' asses.
0: Kids Jeopardy, crush. Yeah, fifth grade Jeopardy, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a winner. Did I ever tell you when I auditioned for uh, uh, Wheel of Fortune and I got on? No, you really got on? All right, so story time. It's kind of a, a lame story because... I didn't end up going on the show, but I got cast, uh, which is I was doing my first uh, startup, which was a like I've talked about a little bit before. It's a sushi restaurant chain, a uh, cloud, cloud kitchen for sushi, basically, that we started. And me and my buddy Dan are in the kitchen. And Dan is the type of guy that always applied for any contest. And we always used to call him like the sucker at first until we realized he wins a lot of these because nobody actually applies. He would open up a pack of gum, and they would be like, "Oh, create a thirty-second jingle for our uh, our gum, and you could win a lifetime supply of gum." So he he won a lifetime supply of Stride gum. That's hilarious. Then there's this sandwich chain called like something like pickle some pickle sandwich chain or whatever. He named their mascot. He won that contest and he got taken into the headquarters and like, they gave him a big like round of applause awkwardly in front of the whole company was very weird. It was like, is this a penalty or a victory? And so the last thing he did was he was like, yo, I'm going to try out. He's like, I got to go for a minute. He's like, i got to go for like an hour. Can you cover me? I was like, where the fuck are you going? And at this point I'm like beaten down from the startup. I hate the restaurant. I hate the kitchen. I hate the food industry. And so I'm like, no, you're not leaving. Don't leave. I don't want to do this shit. You don't want to do this shit. That doesn't mean you could just make some lame excuse to leave. He's like, no, 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 it's not a lame excuse. Like I got to go do something. I'm like, well, why? if it was something legit, you'd tell me what it was. He goes, all right, I'm, gonna, I, I'm auditioning for Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, they're in town. It's 10 minutes away. I'm auditioning for Wheel of Fortune and I want to go do it. And I was like, Okay, well, shit, I'm coming with you then. So we both just left the kitchen, closed down the... You know, you can just take a cloud kitchen offline, just push a button. It's We're not taking orders. And it's so weird how they do these things. So I'll tell you what happens in a TV show audition for a game show. I didn't know this. By the way, I didn't actually plan to audition. I just wanted to go see it. But they said, if you're in this room, you have to audition. So I said, okay, sure, I'll audition then. So there's probably about, like 80 people in the room. And uh, there's a woman up front. And she's the casting director. And she goes, okay... And by the way, am I saying Wheel of Fortune's the one where you spin the uh, wheel and you guess the letters? Spin the wheel, guess the letters. Exactly, that's the show. So she's like, you know, at the beginning, what's his name? I don't know what his name is, like Pat or whatever his yeah, name Pat. is. He's gonna ask you, or no, sorry, so before that was round two. Round one was we're just gonna have you stand up and say a letter. Because if you ever watch the show, they don't just say like, uh, I think maybe like a D. They go R. Like, yeah, like give me a D. So they're like stand up and say a letter. And you're like, well, what's the puzzle? They're like, no, there's no puzzle. Just say a letter with energy. And so there was, let's say, 80 people in this room. They go through, everybody stands up, says their letter, and then they immediately dismissed half of the room. Uh, so they were just like, you guys didn't have the energy. Right. <laughs> second thing was a written quiz, like puzzles. Uh, and then the third one was, and so that eliminated another half. So now we're down to like 20 people left. And they're like, okay, you got to have a story. You got to be a character. Like, this is not really about like how good you are at this game, but like, Pat's going to interview at the beginning and you need to either be like a stay-at-home mom who watches every episode or like a businessman who like, you know, is a, you know, owns this company, or you need to be like, whatever you need to have your stick. So we were like, whatever, we're starting a sushi restaurant. And so they have everybody, you, know, you say your name and you say your one line kind of thing about you. And then they call you back a week later or two weeks later and tell you if you got it or not. And so both me and Dan got casted on it. He actually went on, I had moved to Australia in that so you make three it. weeks later or whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, I was in Australia when they called me. And I was like, "I'm not going to fly back for uh, Wheel of Fortune." But Dan went on and uh, and had an epic joke on the show. <laughs> that's
1: crazy. Well, too bad you didn't make it. A friend of mine was on it. Actually, very coincidentally, Facebook friend of mine who I went to school with was on it, and he won 50 grand last night. Last night? Uh t- two nights ago? Or yeah, this oh, week. Wow, that's amazing. Well, he was on it, I guess, weeks ago, but he posted that he's like, "Yeah, I." You know, I won 50, like he's posted the photo of him winning 50 grand.
0: I've also auditioned for Survivor twice and not gone on, but I will keep trying. Anyways, my uh, I don't know why I went on this huge tangent, but you were saying TV shows, you're saying they should turn them into this uh, podcast. And I think like, you know how we had Ty Lopez on and he was telling us like, oh, I'm buying up the e-commerce rights of these brick and mortar brands like Dress Barn and whatever. I wonder if an entrepreneur could basically go buy the podcast rights to certain shows, game shows, or whatever that's out of date,
1: like Hey Arnold, or something,
0: right? And just convert it
1: into a pod, or like, because I would you listen to that? I would listen to like some of these TV shows. I like I used to listen to Family Guy when I was like, I don't even remember what I was doing, but like I would put it in my ears. It, it was just funny background noise.
0: And the other one that's uh, the other idea that's sort of like this. Um, my friend Jason was bringing this up the other day. He goes. You know, TV shows, what they should do is they need to go like multi-platform. So basically, let's say you have friends, you have this hit TV show friends, people get invested in the characters, right? It's like, would you listen to a podcast of Chandler and Joey? Doing like sports betting, or like talking about dating, if they stayed in character but they off the show, they could probably make a fuck ton of money just being the character in more places now in more mediums and podcasting. I think is a really good one for that, where you could t- take these characters and you could take them off platform if people really love love these characters.
1: I'm down. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think that there'd be a lot of um a lot of contracts around syndication, which would be a pain in the ass. Can we talk about this thing you tweeted about? Angel investing. Sure. So you wrote, I doubled down angel investing over the past six months. I've invested $600,000 into eight startups, a few standouts. And do you want to talk about the standouts?
0: Yeah. So I was just kind of doing an end of year review, seeing, you know, okay, I've ramped up my investing. Let's see kind of like what I'm excited about, what I think I could be doing better next year, et cetera. Okay. So, so standouts, um, I, I said, there's some themes here. So first is like India. I think I've talked about this before, but I invested in two Indian companies, which is always hard to do if you're not on the ground. It's hard to you're not meeting the people face to face and stuff like that. You don't know the market as well. But these companies were just great ideas that were growing really fast that I could just see like already had great adoption. And what I'm seeing is that in India, there's this thing happened called have you ever heard of J.I.O.? J.I.O. He's a
1: billionaire guy in India who people kind of hate because he has He owns a skyscraper.
0: Well, it's not, it's not his name, but yeah, the Ambani family, basically, they owned a company called Reliance. Reliance is like, I don't know, like ExxonMobil of India. They, are, they have like a big energy company, but they're not just Exxon. They're also like AT&T, and and they are also like Verizon and everybody else. It's like Berkshire Hathaway or something. Exactly. So India was kind of behind infrastructure-wise, internet infrastructure-wise. So they released... Uh, Jio, which is basically like a a cell service like AT&T or T-Mobile or whatever. But it brought people up to kind of like 4G connection for really cheap. They like subsidized it and just kind of gave it away at cost or below cost. And they call this the Jio effect in India because so many hundreds of millions of people now are online that just weren't online before this. And this one company kind of like, took the whole country and moved them forward seven years by doing this. And because of that, there's this crazy opportunity for tech startups right now in India, where like, if you have product market fit, if you have a good product, you're going to grow at this insane pace. So I was just talking about two of the companies, one company I invested in called Dukan. Dukan means store in Hindi. And uh, it's basically Shopify for shopkeepers of India. So if you owned a little shop that like sold scarves or shoes or food or, you know, sweets or whatever... COVID killed your business, killed foot traffic, killed brick and mortar stores. And so DuCom basically is this little Android app that's kind of like Shopify that just lets that shopkeeper put their whole store online and uh, anybody can order from their phone and then it gets delivered locally, like to wherever, wherever based on wherever you are. Who found this? Uh, I found this one. How? I was just lurking on Twitter and I had been following this guy. I think I've talked about it once before, so I won't go into too much in depth, but I found the founder named Smith and he had built something called ranks, which is an SEO tool. And so I wanted an SEO tool to grow my websites. I was looking at them and I saw ranks. I was like, Oh, that's actually a well-made site. Anytime I see something well-made, I go find out who made it. I want to be friends with them. Um, That's like how I built my network. And so I go and I find this guy and I'm like, yo, you built this thing. This thing's fucking cool. Like, Let's talk. And he's like, okay. And I called him and literally on the, and I just did a zoom call with him right there on the spot. No scheduling. I was like, are you free right now to talk? He's like, yeah, sure. It's like 8am in India, but all right, no problem. And I call him and I'm just zooming from my backyard. And he's like, and I'm like, what's your story? And he's like, oh, I've been running growth for all these startups. He's like, I ran growth and, you know, for all the startups, they wanted to grow through SEO. So I just made my own SEO tool. And then I just thought, why am I growing all these other guys' startups? Like I'm the one creating all the value for them. They're raising at these huge valuations and they pay me like dirt. You know, they get famous, but I'm the one driving the growth. So screw this. I'm going to do my own startup. And I was like, what are your ideas? And he told me about this idea. And I was like, that's awesome. And I just gave him kind of my usual spiel. Like, I'd love to help you. Advise, invest at some point, and then the next day he's like, "Yo, I got three hundred stores on." I was like, "What?" And he's like, "You know," and he just kept going. And so he's had three million merchants join the platform in under five months, which is just an absurd number. It's growing like crazy. This
1: seems like it might be a hit. And so you were the first money in.
0: Yeah, we're in. The, we're the first round in the company, and so. um and there's only like three or four of us from the U S who invested in this thing. So it's me, it's Ryan Hoover. And, uh, my friend Kumar, who also knew also is a internet lurker and had found this guy in the same way I did. And was like, yeah, sure. I'm in. And so, and then the rest are bi- the big VCs of India, like whoever Lightspeed or matrix or whoever, whoever they have. So, and this, this company, I mean, it's either going to explode, like it's going to grow so fast that it kills the company or like expectations get too high. They get taken too much money. It's like, it's one of those companies that's like, it's going to die of excess, or it's going to be like a multi-billion dollar company. It's going to be crazy.
1: So this fund that you have, it's going to be... It seems like... Because every company you're naming, I'm like, you know, who knows if it's going to work. But they all seem le- legitimate and like promising.
0: They're definitely promising. So this one, by the way, Dukan, I did before I started my angel funds. So this is my personal money before that. But all the others in the thread are are from the rolling fund itself. And yeah, I think they're all promising. Like I obviously feel good about them. But I'm sure every investor feels fucking good about their companies. Maybe I just sell them better than other other people? Like, I, I don't know.
1: Definitely, probably. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. you sell them better, but maybe they are better.
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't have invested, like, I wouldn't have invested in them if I didn't. But these ones I'm talking about right now, like, I legit think are going to win. Of course, that the, the giant caveat is, you know, almost all startups fail and blah, 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 in normal disclaimers. But like, what I mean is within the basket of startups, these are relatively... At the top, these I think are very, very good startups amongst startups. Now, of course, all startups could fail and blah blah blah.
1: So let's talk about you did fitness AI. I was a customer there. Uh, you said was past tense. You, you turned out. I turned out. I signed up right when they launched, and it was clear that they were just getting started. Yeah. So, but I could see I can see why it's great.
0: Yeah. So there's two fitness companies that I invested in. One, uh, they're both like of the kind of core mindset, which is no.
1: Sorry, is this fitness AI? Is this the one where they send you an Apple Watch? No. Oh, never mind. I didn't use this one. You told me about this one, though, and I would love to use this. I'm almost about to buy what's that thing called? Tonal. You know, Tonal? Yeah. I wanted to buy one, but this company, Fitness AI, might, I may not even need it because of this.
0: Yeah. So this guy basically, his dad was a bodybuilder. And, uh, he also like lifts weights, but like his dad was like a, kind of like a did competitions and shit like that. And so he was like, Oh, I'm doing this fitness app. And I was like, aren't there kind of a lot of these like personal trainer in your pocket? He's like, yeah, I'm being the best one for building muscle. He's like, if you break it down, he's like, there's one for cardio. It's called sweat. And it's all about like kind of like high intensity interval training. And there's some for running. And that's like my run keeper. It's hold to Under Armour for 500 million. And then there's things like Peloton that's for biking. And he's like the way that digital fitness is playing out is like, people don't just like Workout generically. They do a specific type of workout with a specific kind of like body they want to do. They either want to lose fat, they want to build muscle, they want to like be active or whatever it is. So I invested in two. I did my yoga teacher, which is yoga based one. And so what they're doing is they have yogis in India who are uh, you know yogas have invented in India. So they have like experts in India that teach you over Zoom a one-on-one yoga instruction uh, where they're like, oh, move your foot to the right, like do this, do that. And so it's a Zoom yoga class that can be one-on-one or group. And it's great because it's way cheaper than a traditional yoga class in the in the States. So for, for in the States, if you go to a yoga studio here, you're going to pay 30 bucks for that class. This you'll pay thirty bucks like for the month, you know what I mean? Uh, like you, you know, you can get one-on-one training for nineteen dollars on this app, versus like a group class of forty people where you don't get any attention. You know
1: what I would do? I think this yoga, my yoga teacher is interesting. Uh, Indian company as well. It looks like yeah, you said that
0: they're based in the U.S., but they just leverage the like labor arbitrage. So there's a lot of businesses that that make money, like Design Pickle, for example. They make money because it's a U.S. company paying U.S. dollar rates. And the designers are in the Philippines, right? But for most things, you can't, it's like a worse quality experience when you get somebody overseas for the service. With yoga, these yogis in India are actually like expert yoga teachers. And so you don't have that same drop off you normally get with outsourcing. So they get the cost savings without the quality drop off.
1: The following that a lot of these yoga folks have, because I follow a lot of them on Instagram and on YouTube. And like, there's this one called Yoga with Adrian. Do you know her? I've I've seen it, yeah. Oh, I love yoga with Adriene. This woman, she's got like this girl next door look. She's very endearing, very cute. Um she has uh, let's see how many followers she has. She lives a lot. In, of, I think it's I think she's big, right? Like 10 million maybe. 8.8 8 million. She's huge. And so I used to during COVID when I um I don't even know. I mean, I still do it all the time. It wasn't just COVID, but I was using her like crazy and she has like a 30-day thing and uh it's awesome. It is so cool. Right. She's so just Got a good brand, good personality. So she's just soothing. And those are recorded, right? It's YouTube, yeah.
0: So I think that there's, again, if you segment these markets, it's like some people want the recorded, but it's a better experience when it's a live instructor. Peloton is that way, right?
1: Well, I agree. But here's what I would do is I wouldn't, I would do what these makeup guys like Ipsy did with that Michelle fan, or what was her name? Yes. Or um, what Brian Lee at Honest did with Jessica Alba to get distribution and get users like overnight. I would, call adrian or the 150 people very similar to her that are slightly smaller and being like hey i'm gonna give yes. you equity in the business and you're gonna be uh, a brand partner you in and it would crush i think it's a great idea but getting customers for this yoga thing it would be very very hard i think
0: yeah and so i like i remember when i was kind of researching the deal i was like okay so you have this subscription so i was like so what's the churn like you know like every all your numbers sound good but like churn is always the scary thing with any subscription business and he's like, well, our quarterly churn is negative three percent. I was like, what do you mean negative? I was like, you have negative net churn. He's like, yeah, we have negative net churn. Like more people increase their membership value than we lose in dollars every quarter. And he's like, that's been the case for the last three quarters. We hope it continues, but like three quarters is kind of like almost the whole year. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like because it's a marketplace, right? On one side, he's got instructors, and the other side, he's got students. And the more instructors and students he gets, the more valuable his marketplace is going to be. It's a paid marketplace around subscription, and the subscription the churn is negative churn every quarter. I was like, okay, those are enough at the seed stage. You really can't get more signals than that. You know, you can't be asking for more validation than that. that and how do you find? Uh- Yoga one, dude. This one's funny. Uh, Some famous person, either Gary Vee or Jason Calacanis, had tweeted out like, "What's the you know what's a cool startup I should be featuring, or what's what's a fast growing startup?" And this founder had reached uh, had tweeted back at him and said, "You know, we're my yoga teacher. We're marketplace for yoga, and we're we're doing seven figures in revenue already, and we're growing you know this percent per month." And I was like, "Normally those threads are like trash. It's just like yo, I got this idea, and like you know you go to their landing page it's awful." And I was like, that tweet alone, I was like, this is good. I looked into his background. He had built a startup already. Uh, His previous startup is currently worth about $300, $400 million as a private startup. And so I was like, okay, it's like a credible guy who's had success before. What's his previous one? It's called Punch. Punch with, I think, two H's at the end. What do they do? I don't remember. It's like some marketing thing or like, I don't know what it is. It's like... It's like seven eight years old as the company. It's it's like done well, but I don't think it's like one of the super bright companies that's like going to go public. So it's like somewhere in between, which who knows what that means. So I was like, this guy's credible. That tweet, those metrics sounded promising. I like the concept in general. Let me take a punt. So that's how I found him.
1: I'm uh, and then you have this other one called Bubbles, which I just installed. I'm I, I installed it while I was talking to you. Bubbles is a Chrome extension that helps you capture screenshots and videos and you could collect, right
0: yeah exactly so you take a screenshot or a screen like a video screenshot it's either a photo or a video screenshot so you could just say okay here's what i'm seeing and then on top of it bubbles is like kind of like a chat bubble like you can annotate it so you can type like, for example, you could go to the Hustles website or Trends website. Let's say you want to tell your team how it could be better. So you go to the Hustle website, you screenshot it, you then just click and you like sort of add little annotations or comments about stuff that you think could be improved. And you just share that link with your team. And then they can comment back and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fix this one now. Or like, let me, do you have any suggestions on what we could change it to? And like, they can just, you collaborate on top of a screenshot or on top of a screen screencast. So for more and more companies working remote, you need a way to collaborate. I do this all the time. I take like a thousand screenshots a day and it's so janky. I like annotate it with a big They're red letting arrow. They're not me capture part of a screen. You can. There you go. Uh, maybe it's not fully a solid... Or- I don't know, it's it's not as obvious, but you can do a video, you can do full screen. One one other thing I like is you could do a long screenshot. So you know it sucks when you're trying to screenshot a long page. This lets you just grab the full page instead of 10 screenshots that you then have to like paste together. And this is to me a makeup of a company I, I should have invested in. I was friends with the founders of Loom early on, which has turned out to be a, $300 $300 million valued company now and growing. And, uh, you know, I could have invested that at probably like 5 million, 6 million bucks. And so that would have been a, been, been a pretty big, you know, 60, 70X return before dilution. Loom did the same thing. They're like, oh, quickly record a screencast and share it with your coworkers. What have you learned doing this?
1: I mean, it seems like a pretty fun job. Is it going to be lucrative?
0: I think so. The thing with startup investing, though, is it's more like uh, what I'll call it is it's a fun retirement account, Why do I say that? Because like, you know, when you put your money in your 401k, it's like, cool, I'm investing, it's compounding, but it's like, I can't touch it till I'm 65. Right. That's the thing with startups, right? It's illiquid for a long time. And you don't get answers about whether these are going to be the big winners that they could be and for a long time. It takes time for these things to grow. And even when they succeed, like right now, Airbnb went public, DoorDash went public, all these companies are going public, but they are like, 10 plus years into their lifespan. Oftentimes I think Airbnb is what 11, 12 years into its lifespan, something like that. Maybe about that. And so it takes a long time. So it's like a mini retirement account, but that's like fun. And so it's like, this is something where you invest in it when you're 30, you get paid out when you're 40. And your money has been compounding at this very fast rate, but like you don't get to touch it until you're 40, 40 or 42. You know, so it's like uh, you have to think about you think it I think it's way.
1: easier? It seems way easier than starting a company.
0: It's easier, but it's also less lucrative, I think, overall, right? Like you start a company you could become worth tens of millions or $100 million. To do that with angel investing, you have to hit one of the giant winners, right? Like So for example, I was doing some calculations of the returns of these companies. So for example, DoorDash, one of the early investors of DoorDash put in $200,000 into the early round and uh, that appreciated (laughs) like uh, 700X. So they put in 200 grand and it the that stake is worth like 150 million dollars right now in the public markets, and so the, you know a 700x return is so crazy.
1: But doesn't the individual or the company only gets 30 percent of that then, right? Or uh,
0: 20? Uh, the investor, yeah. So so basically, okay. So I was doing the math. So on, for example, Sequoia. Sequoia released. Sequoia is one of the big brand funds. And they released their, uh, what's it called, like their earnings. And so, or their returns of their the previous funds. And so one of their funds, they said, return to investors and 11X, 11X return so Let me pull up my uh, spreadsheet because I was doing some math. And I was like, okay, how much do the individual partners at Sequoia make? How much are they making off this thing? So let me just give you some numbers. So their fund was a $1.3 billion fund and it returned 11x, which is crazy. But it returned that because it had like WhatsApp and several other big winners in it. The total return on that was about $18 billion. The amount they gave to investors was $14 billion. So for the for the fund managers themselves, the GPs... Is the GP the boss? GP is general partner. That's the top level at, a, at an investment fund. There, there might be like a managing director, but they don't get paid more. So GP is like the guys who actually... Get a share of the profits. And they're putting up a little
1: bit of their own money, but they're not always putting up their own money. They're putting up their share.
0: Yeah, basically. That's their, that's their, so they get paid in two ways. They take a 2% per year management fee. So just on the 1.3 billion, that's 260 million of just, what's it called? Management uh,
1: fees No, that's 20, it's 20
0: million. No, no, because 1.3 billion. 2% of 1.3. Oh, sorry, sorry, but it's 10 year fund. So over the 10 years, they get $260 million. Now let's assume, I don't know exactly how many GPs Sequoia has. Let's say they have eight. So those guys, they made about, let's say they had eight GPs. That's $32 million over the 10 years. That's $3 million a year of just their salary from the management fees. Uh, Now, of course, some of it's going to go to the office and other things. Let's just round down aggressively and say they're each pulling home $2.5 million a year just to write the checks, just to meet. Do you really think so? Checks. Do you think that's the number? That seems awfully high uh, for Sequoia because they're raising mega, mega funds. Right? This is a billion dollar plus fund. Yes, I do think it's that high. And so, so that's the first thing. Uh, so, so they're they're pulling analysts, call it two to three million dollars a year salaries if there was say, eight partners. Then you had the carry on this fund, which their share of the carry was about three point three billion dollars. And again, they had multiple winners in this thing. So this, I think this was an extremely high performing fund, but whatever. That's $400 million each that they get as their carry um, after the kind of 12 year. Who cycle. is one of the current partners? Roloff Botha is, is one of them. I can't sell so, that. Tell me one more. Alfred Lin.
1: So Alfred Lin, he started the company with, um, he started Zappos with uh, Tony Shea. So, then this guy's got to be close to a billionaire, no?
0: I believe so, yeah. And roll off the same thing. He was CFO, I think, of PayPal with Peter Thiel and them. And so he was, I believe, the CFO during that time. So, he obviously has done well before this, right? They didn't like make it rich with this. But I just wanted to know how much did the top GPs at the top funds make? And I'm pretty sure that if you annualize it out, these guys are bringing home somewhere between 30 and $40 million a year. Do you really think that that is wild, wild, wild? Now, so, somebody the can correct me. It. We have a bunch of people who are VCs who listen to this. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm doing my back to the napkin math. I'm not I'm not from this uh, job. I mean,
1: Sequoia has the, is the best. Top, top of the top. The best ever, maybe.
0: I think that the partners at smaller, kind of still reputable known funds, but they're not billion dollar funds and they're not getting this type of crazy 11X, on a 1.3 billion dollar fund, I think they are bringing in a tenth of that. So I think where the top guys and the top years are bringing in 30 to 50 million dollars each, I think that three to five million is what the VC, uh, you know, normal successful GP VCs are, are making.
1: I'm on Sequoia's website. are they don't tell you how many GPs they have. Their website is slick. Yeah. Wow. It makes me want to like them. I mean, it makes me want to be part of whatever they're part of. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh, wow! And Michael Morowitz. Okay, yeah, he was the the guy in charge. He's worth multiple billions. So, should we wrap up there? And next week we'll get to
0: yeah. We should wrap up. Uh, the last thing I would say on the investing front for me, what I've kind of like my takeaway at the end of this was like, this is cool. Uh, the financial way to think about this is like a mini retirement fund. Meaning, it's awesome that it's going to grow, and I think it's going to do well. Uh, I think it's going to compound at a fast rate, but it's illiquid for some period of time. Normal 401k is like 40 years. This is going to be illiquid for like 10 years. The other side of uh, the way I think about it is this is basically like getting paid to go to business school. It's like I get to sit front row, learn about new businesses, learn about new technology, meet cool people. But instead of paying for it, you get to get paid by investing in startups. So
1: would you do this full time or would you start something?
0: I wouldn't do it full time. I love it in the capacity that it is right now, which is I just keep doing my thing, you know, building cool shit making content like this. And in doing so, I run into cool people. And when I run into them, cool people doing cool things, I say, can I invest? And then I put this at the bottom of the thread, which I think is really important, which is in most investments, right? If you're a real estate investor or you're a hedge fund guy, it's all about, you know, the investor picks the asset. That's it. Investor picks which asset to invest in startups are the only asset class where the investor picks the asset, but the asset also has to pick the investor. Most of these deals, it's not just me saying, I, here's a check it's, can I invest? And then they say yes or no. And for how much. And so this is the only industry, this only asset class where that happens, that match happens. And so the game theory of that means you have to be a desirable person for them to want on their cap table in the meeting. You have to behave well. So that's good that that game theory helps everybody behave better. You have to be helpful and have a reputation for being helpful. You also have to like build your brand as somebody who if your name is on this company, it helps that company like legitimize itself for the next investor or the next customer that that comes by. And so it's cool because the more successful you get, the better investment returns you get also
1: does having like a podcast help significantly
0: for sure yeah there's several of these like bubbles is a great example their round is oversubscribed. they don't need me i think a bunch of your audience would use a product like this and i think you guys are you guys have a good platform so like i want you in because you have a name or like i invest in Guggens like new ed tech thing which is like a way for influencers to launch courses and i was like hey i want to teach anyways i'm going to launch my own course he's like perfect like Again, that guy's built two like kind of rocket ship companies already, one that's worth multiple billions of dollars in the ed tech space already. So he had every investor he wanted to invest, he could have had in. The only way I got access to that round was because I said, not only am I going to invest, I'll be a teacher on your platform. And I have an audience that will come and so that I'll make your platform more more valuable. I'll give you feedback as a user. Yeah,
1: I I missed out on that one, just because I was that was when I had Lime and I just wasn't Take I wasn't talking to anyone. I don't I won't regret it
0: because by the way, I think you still can because he's doing something cool, which is he carved out a very small part of the round, I think like quarter million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, something like that, to let any accredited investor from the public invest in it.
1: I know, but the valuation is way higher than
0: when you it's t- not that way higher, it's only five million dollars higher. So I invested at 20 million, this is at 25 million, so it's not that much higher. That sounds five million dollars sounds like a big number, but in valuation terms, it's just like I put this in my mistakes part of the Twitter thread, which was there's a bunch of companies where I was like, I was like, oh, this is interesting, but I'm not sure. Let's just wait and see. And like four months later, I wait and saw. And sure enough, they proved it out more. And all of a sudden, the price was three times higher. Yeah, that happened with
1: um, Aura Ring, I think. Were you part of that?
0: I wasn't a part of that one, no.
1: A couple of our friends were, and they were like, Aura Ring, $100 million, that's a lot of money for evaluation. And now it's 10 times
0: that. Right, (laughs) exactly. And uh, and that happened to be with with several of these. the company we were talking about right before they launched was Pipe. And uh, I was like, oh, this is a genius idea. You were like, this is a genius idea. We could have put some money in at that time at a lower valuation. And now I'm talking to them now and... You know, the valuation is much higher because he's proved it out a lot more. That's
1: that uh, David Sachs business. He's one of
0: the investors. I wouldn't give him the credit. <laughs> Harry Hurst is the founder, yeah. He's pimped it out all the time. Yes. Yeah. And he was the lead of their kind of like first round or whatever. Right. We did miss that. Or I missed that one too. Okay. So I feel like I took this episode a bunch of different tangents. you, what do you think?
1: Uh, it was pretty good. Better than the last couple for sure. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't believe we do
1: zero minutes of
0: prep. We did like 10 here, so. <laughs> I want people to let me know like, Because there's some stuff like this, like angel investing. I don't know if that's interesting to people or if it's not. I think it will be. You think so? I do.
1: Yeah, I think we should do like, I don't know. People are kind of sensitive with salaries and stuff, but I find that stuff super interesting. Nobody talks about it, like how much these guys actually make. We should have one of these folks on.
0: Only if they're just going to say how much they make.
1: Let's have Jason (laughs) Calcanis come on because he's kind of a loose cannon. He'll, He'll talk. Yeah, we should. I was on his thing. He owes us. We'll get him one.
0: Yeah, get him on. That'd be great.
1: I'm looking at the download numbers. People seem to be liking what we're doing. It's going up. Yeah, surely, slowly, but surely. Uh, we're in the we are in the top fifty of all business podcasts today.
0: Hell yeah! Ahead of who are we ahead of Abreu? That's what I care about. Top fifty. All right, that sounds good. Who are we ahead of?
1: Next to uh, next to um, Motley Fool. Okay. Crush Morning Brew. Um, who else? Uh, we're beating all the big
0: names. Reading Pomp, Naval uh, Morning Brew's podcast. We're beating all the big guys.
1: Yeah, those chumps. Well, those aren't big guys, but a Pop is, I guess. I mean, Naval's got like
0: a million plus followers on Twitter. He's, he's pretty good.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't actually do that podcast, does he? Yeah, it's him. The Naval podcast isn't Naval, is it? No, it's him. Yeah, it's him. Oh, for real? What does that guy even do? Does he do anything? Like, is he just like a personality? Is he like Tim Ferriss now?
0: Well, he hired a CEO for Angelus, so he, he's not the CEO anymore. So yeah, he just thinks about shit and meditates and invests. Where does he
1: live? Does he live in San Francisco, do you think? I have no idea where he lives. That guy's weird to me. I mean, in a good way.
0: Someone sent me a shirt. They sent me a very very kind letter. I should find out what the
1: person... Oh, and uh, you sent you a Naval book. Yeah, that's right. So I got the book here
0: that my friend Eric wrote. This is actually a really smart tactic, by the way. This guy, Eric Jorgensen, he was like... It's like the fastest way to build your following and build a mailing list is to just capture all the philosophies of a famous person like naval or charlie munger or warren buffett or whoever he just wrote the almanac of naval he just took all the shit naval had said in his different podcasts and blogs and stuff like that jack butcher did it with him yeah exactly jack butcher got famous too with, with visualized value he just took naval's philosophy and created dope visuals around it and tweeted it out every day until those caught on and so like instead of you know I, i'm going the long hard slow shitty way of trying to like come up with my own ideas and make those famous i should just be hijacking these other people's fame and building content about them and then slowly slip myself in
1: whatever it works yeah i mean now like at this point now people are doing that with jack butcher they're, he has like a yeah he's like a jack butcher someone made like a fan page for him
0: i, I might have made it i love that guy he's great Butcherettes.
1: is that what they're called no i don't get that joke what's that I mean i don't get the joke that no, was a lame joke <laughs> Okay I'm out of here I'll talk to you guys soon Later